is Sabra from Hoof Falls and Foot Falls, and I wanted to go live today to do an instructor chat on finding a new equine coworker or finding a new program horse. There's kind of different terms that we use for the horses or the equines that work alongside us in our programs. So this is a very common question I hear from instructors and centers in the equine assisted activities and therapies industry. Um, they, they reach out a lot and ask, you know, is there a certain like criteria or checklist that is industry best practice or I recommend when someone is looking for a new equine to um, bring in to their program, whether it's through lease um, an owner donates it or even potentially purchasing an equine. So that's what this instructor chat is going to be about. If you're joining in live, I'd love to hear from you. Where are you from? Uh, what do you do in the equine assisted activities and therapies industry? And uh, what's on your list for when you look for a new horse to bring into your program? And just so you know, um, I'm probably going to be using the word horse more frequently during this talk, um, but it does apply to equines, so donkeys, mules, um, anything that we might kind of bring in and use in equine assisted activities and therapies. All right, so let's jump into the topic. So finding a new program horse. Um, is there a certain checklist? And it depends. Um, and we're going to go through the factors that cause me to give you the answer of it depends. So the main thing that is going to determine what should really be on your checklist of minimum requirements for a horse that you're looking to add to your program is what do you do as an instructor or what does your center or your program offer? So what are the level of students that you're going to be working with? What is your um, you, your population and your community that you typically interact with. Do you work with um, a bunch of uh, military or first responder adults? Do you work with adult day programs? Do you work with very young children that are extremely high functioning and it's all groundwork and equine assisted learning? Do you specialize in working with um, severely involved individuals and you might offer adaptive riding and also partner alongside therapists to provide physical occupational or speech therapy and incorporate equines. So what does your center offer? What do you need in a new equine that you might be bringing in? That is probably one of the biggest determining factors that that is going to really play into what goes on your list. Um, I'm going to talk about some different factors that you should consider that will help you build your list, but my list and what I look for in a horse may not be what you need on your list when you go look for a horse. So uh, what does your center need? What's the level of students that you are serving or clients that you're serving, um, population, all of that. Volunteers. Do you use volunteers in your program? What type of volunteer training do your volunteers go through? Who's going to be handling the equines on a regular basis? Are they, do the horses need to be able to deal with a lot of horse leads? Um, you know, maybe five, 10, 15 different leaders during classes. Uh, is it a horse that is going to be working in a program where they often have a full team of volunteers surrounding them? So a horse leader and two sidewalkers 
and there are multiple people in a class? Or are you a groundwork program or maybe a, a program that's more, um, you know, all-inclusive and higher functioning individuals where you don't use volunteers? So what does the volunteer component look like? How many hands are on the horse during the week? Instructors and staff, um, that's another factor to consider as well. How many instructors are going to be working with this horse? Do, is there you know, different teaching techniques? Are there different styles of riding that are going to be incorporated? What are, what's the level of knowledge and horsemanship ability among your instructors and among your staff? That is also going to factor in to what type of horse your program or your center might need. So those are kind of like the big picture, um, you know, pieces that you should think about. And your list too might change and morph and develop as you move through the year or as you progress and grow as an instructor or as a center. When I worked for a large therapeutic riding center here in the Valley where um, we had a bunch of volunteers, we had group lessons, there was a certain type of population that tended to um, attend the adaptive riding classes. The type of horses that I would look for as an equine director there is very different in some ways than the horses I now look for with my own program where I serve able-bodied and adaptive riders and I don't utilize full teams of volunteers and I do only private lessons instead of group. So the what I look for in a horse varies depending on what is needed in that program and at that time. And also who's in my current herd right now? Is there a certain need for a height? Um, you know, do I need like a little 13 hand pony? Do I need a big draft horse? Do I need a horse that is um, able to be uh, driven and ridden and do groundwork. What do we need from that equine that we're bringing into our program? So, again, depends on your center. What do you need? Analyze that first. Then, you want to kind of take a look at other factors that relate more directly to that equine that you might be searching out. Um, Again, searching out, it could be that you're looking to lease them. It could be looking, uh, it could be that you're looking for a donation. It could be that you are looking to purchase a horse. And so you just kind of want to narrow down your options and make sure you're using your time effectively. So factors to consider when looking for a program horse. Um, I'll kind of let you know, you know, general things that I hear. And then I'll also let you know some of my personal preferences and why um, and how that came to be and just some things to think about. So age of the horse. Um, I know programs and instructors that will take in extremely young horses as well as um, very mature aged horses. So when I look for a horse personally, I like the horse to be somewhere between the age of eight and probably about 16, maybe 18. I don't usually like to go younger than about eight-ish because I want that horse to have a very solid foundation on them. If it is my own horse that I have started and I'm training um, and working on, I probably won't have that horse fully working in lessons until they are mature enough and have enough solid training on them to um, be a good partner and a good teacher to my students that I'm working with. So age 
kind of also partners along with training, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so eight-ish is about the youngest I'll look at. Um, again, I'm liking them to settle, have some maturity. They've seen some stuff. They've been exposed to some things. 16 to 18 is kind of the upper range, and that is because your students likely get um, attached to the horses. You invest time. You invest training. Hopefully you are um, have policies and procedures and handling methods that allow for a nice long career with whatever you do. So you want your horse there for a few years. If your horse is older, and now again, I'm not saying that horses in their 20 aren't sound and healthy and wonderful equine coworkers. However, their years are getting fewer and fewer. So what's the longevity of that equine in my program? If I'm gonna put in all this time and training and effort into finding this really good horse for my program, am I going to be able to have them be a coworker alongside of me for several years, or is it only gonna be a few months? I personally like having my horses for a few years or at least planning on having them for a few years. I know we can't predict the future, um, but usually going in with a horse that's no older than 16 or 18, I can probably count on that horse to be able to work in a program until they're probably about 22, 25. If I get more years out of them where they are physically and mentally happy and comfortable and it's ethical to partner with them, then awesome. But 20 to 25 years is probably about where I see that horse either needing to retire or do something where it's not quite as demanding as mounted equine assisted activities and therapies. Um, again, this is not necessarily a cushy retirement job for the horses. Depending on who you're serving, who you're working with, all the volunteers, all the things that you're asking from your horse, um, it's not necessarily an easy job. I think that's probably a common misunderstanding of people wanting to donate their horses to programs or us taking horses in. Not necessarily a, a nice cushy retirement job. It's a working job and we ask a lot from our lesson horses and our program horses. Um, so age. I like to stick between 8 and 16, maybe 18, depending on the, the um you know, how well that horse has been cared for, how well they're aging. Soundness, um, soundness is another big piece and that also goes hand in hand with confirmation and how that horse is structured. So soundness, when I talk about soundness, it's not only soundness of their physical body and how they move, but also soundness of mind. Having a good mind in a horse is huge. Um, calm, able to tolerate a bunch of people working with them, able to tolerate multiple students on them, being forgiving, um, having enough, I like personality in my horses, I like a little bit of, of spunk in them, um, but you know that may be something where the caliber of volunteer you have and the, the amount of training that you put into your volunteers, maybe having a little bit more personality and spunk is maybe not good for who you need to work alongside those horses. Again, the level of, of spunk and, and personality that I have now is different than when I was at a larger, higher volume center, just because again, of who we were asking to work with the horses and the amount of training that those individuals were going through. So, um, you know, soundness of their, their mind um, and their temperament and just all those factors that go into that. Um, soundness of body too. So does that horse move soundly? Walk, trot, canter. 
Uh, if they're not able to canter or trot, why are they not able to canter or trot? Is it ethical to keep using them under saddle only at a walk if they aren't comfortable enough to move out at a trot and a canter? So you've got to kind of weigh and balance that. Um, are they only able to maybe trot a little bit because then they get sore? Well, are you able to manage that component? Is it ethical to have them being ridden at a trot if it can only be a tiny little bit? You know, there's lots of pieces to consider there along the soundness. Also, quality of movement. Um, riding an unsound horse or a horse that does not have um, symmetrical, comfortable movement impacts our students. It can cause them to become off balance. It can cause them to get um, uneven feedback in both sides of their body. So the soundness and the quality of movement is also a really big factor to think about when we're doing adaptive riding and especially those horses that might be asked to work alongside a therapist in a PT, OT, or speech um, therapy session because again they are really looking for quality of movement and, and utilizing the movement of that horse um, even more deeply than adaptive riding might be using that movement. So soundness is a big thing. Um, and soundness and confirmation, that also ties into the upkeep of the horse. So if the horse doesn't have any soundness issues yet, but their confirmation, how they're built, is kind of leading them to probably have soundness issues later on, then is that a good idea to bring that horse in? Is it going to cost a lot to keep that horse happy and sound and functioning? Are they going to require a lot of corrective shoeing? Are they going to potentially require um, some type of other surgery? Uh, is it going to require a lot more maintenance or schooling and exercising for this one horse than most of the other horses in your program? So what's the upkeep of that horse when it comes to their soundness and their confirmation and longevity? Um, confirmation too, you know, is this horse, is, is how their body built, is their body set up for longevity in the program or are they going to be breaking down with the type of student that I need to have partnered with them, especially when we're thinking about mounted classes? Um, so, you know, what type of student am I going to have riding that horse? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we'll we'll kind of touch back again on upkeep and, and other factors to consider there, but soundness and confirmation definitely tie in with upkeep. Soundness and confirmation also tie in with age. Again, why I don't kind of go younger than about eight or so is also that the horse is still physically developing, and if we ask too much of that horse physically and put too much weight on them, before everything is solidified and closed and tendons and ligaments and joints and all of that are, are solid, we could be predisposing our horse to soundness issues, confirmation issues, um, you know, longevity. So waiting until that horse physically matures, not just mentally, but physically matures is also important. And then again, as the horse gets older, so 16, 18, 20, we kind of get into the more geriatric years, the senior years. Um, what's the upkeep like on that horse? What's the soundness like? Are we seeing arthritic changes? Are we having to invest in supplements or upkeep or injections or anything along those lines? Um, so age, soundness, upkeep, 
all fit together. They're all kind of components that you need to think about and be um, considering what you're willing to negotiate on and what's um, what you're willing to work with. Training. Training is another big factor. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've had several horses offered that are, you know, oh, they're the biggest love bug and they're they're so cuddly and they just love people, but they haven't been ridden in five years. Or, yeah, we've ridden them maybe on the trail once or twice, but no, they've never had any formal training. Depending on the type of time you have to invest into a horse, um, training is another big component. I... It, Unless I'm starting my own horse and that's a horse that I'm going to invest into for several years and they're going to be a family horse and all that, um, I like to bring in horses that have a solid training on them and not just, oh, they're a good solid trail horse. I like formal training. So leg aids, rein aids, um, knowing how to go off of maybe verbal commands. So what type of training do you need in your horse? in order for them to be successful in your program and set your students up for success as well. Um, I know we will sometimes take in a horse or maybe consider a horse that doesn't have the level of training that what the level of training that we're really looking for because we think, oh, I'll have time to do this or you know, if I just am able to do this with the horse, it'll probably be a good match. Well, what if you're not able to put in that training how much time and effort and money are you putting into training this horse or would it just be better for you to invest that money and the time and effort into a horse that already has that training that you need so that they can be a working member of your herd sooner rather than later um and this is a whole nother can of worms but you know training too i have a very strong belief that out of the two, your student or your horse, one of those needs to be more experienced. For what we usually do as instructors, I want my horse usually more experienced than my student so that we have at least one member of that team that's seasoned and able to kind of carry that workload as the student is learning. When my student gets more experienced and they are able to be more of a teacher to their equine, that's when I can maybe bring in a, um, a, a horse that is a little bit greener. But pairing a horse that is green and a student that is green, I personally do not think that's safe. I don't think it's ethical. Um, that's There's a lot of things that go into that. I've seen so many people get hurt that way. Um, even if it is the, the kindest, most gentle horse that loves the kids that you work with, if that horse doesn't know what is expected of them and you know, consistently has been trained in what is expected of them, and then we're setting the student and the horse up for failure. And again, that's a whole nother can of worms, but training. Um, you know, what do you need out of your horse in order to offer a safe quality lesson program to your students? Um, groundwork too, you know, how does that handle, that horse handle on the ground and who's going to be leading that horse on the ground? Is it going to be your students? Is it going to be a volunteer that maybe has um, advanced beginner knowledge of how to handle horses? So what type of ground manners does your horse need? Um, that again, I have very high level expectations of groundwork on the horse because of what I do and all the components that I ask my horses to fulfill. A lot of the groundwork stuff I, I personally um, train the horses on, but I like to see a foundation there before they, they come in. 
Um, upkeep, so going back to upkeep. So we talked about how upkeep kind of ties into age and soundness, um, training to, you know, how much time are you gonna have to invest into this horse to keep them mentally and physically sound and happy and healthy? But also, is this horse predisposed to other chronic issues? Are they known to have um, ring bone issues? Are they known to have colic issues? Do they have a history of colic surgery? Do they have vision issues? So what's the other upkeep financial aspect that you need to consider as well? Um, especially, well, I mean, not especially, we should all be thinking of this, but what kind of budget do you have set aside for your horse? If you are asking um, individuals to donate to your program, are you funneling a lot of that money towards one or two expensive herd members, or are you able to appropriately utilize the funding that has been generously donated to your program and utilize it in multiple ways, not just dumping it into horses um, and expensive ones that may not be overall big picture um, worth that amount. And again, I know that's a whole nother can of worms. I know people have different views and opinions on it, but again, are we being responsible when it comes to monetary investment into programs, into our equines, all of that. Um, so another topic for another day. Potential workload is another thing that would go on my list. So um, I might run across the best little 13 hand pony in the world that I wanna bring into my program, but if I only work with adults, then that's probably not going to be a good match for my program. Um, same thing, if I run across an awesome dra draft cross that's 17 hands, um, you know, wonderful, excellent horse that has potential, but I uh, need a horse that can be worked alongside with volunteers who do supporting thigh holds, 17 hands may not be the best match. And then what if I primarily serve little peanuts that are, you know, 40, 50 pounds, is putting a 40, 50 pound kiddo on a 17 hand horse and supporting them, is that a safe decision and what we actually need? So what's the potential workload of that equine that you are looking at? Does it fit into what you need or is it just a really cool horse that you got to meet and you, could, and you see a potential for it, but maybe it's not what you need. Could you maybe pass that horse on to a fellow instructor or a fellow center? Um, networking, that's why networking is so important is because maybe you run across a horse that doesn't work for you, but might work for somebody else. Um, so potential workload. I, I also have um, workload requirements, um, average of course, because sometimes my horses need a week off, but I have average workload requirements for all of the members of my herd. This includes my personal horse that also works alongside me. All of my horses need to have a certain amount of workload in order for them to earn their keep so that everything is um, sustainable because this is the way I run things is a business. Um, you know, I have to be considerate of the things that have been gifted to the program that I have. Um, same thing if you're running off of donations, you know, what's the workload? Are, is it a is that equine going to be a good investment for you guys and going to um, help elevate your program or is it going to be something where you're maybe decreasing numbers just to take in that horse? So potential workload, does it work for you? 
And then another factor to consider too is, um, is that horse going to be a lease? Is it an owner donating it? Um, are you wanting to invest and purchase the horse? So what, where are you at in that situation as far as lease donation purchase? What do you want in a horse? Um, what are you able to go into uh, you know, contract-wise or legality-wise or, or monetary investment? So those are all things that would go on the list. So to, to kind of recap everything I talked about, and then I'll, I'll uh, read off comments here because I saw some comments come in. Um, but finding a program horse in you, is there a, a best practice list to go off of? Not really. Um, there are some general guidelines that I encourage instructors and center to go by. But the biggest thing is that you have to look at an equine that is going to fit what you or your center needs at that time. So figure out what you need and don't be afraid to, um, I mean, go look at horses that may not work um, or maybe are on the edge. Don't waste your time on horses that you know for sure are not a match. Um, just to be polite, maybe you know, say, hey, here's my criteria or here's another program that might benefit from this horse, but I'm really sorry, you know, this isn't gonna be a good fit. But figure out what your center needs based off of who you serve as students or as clients volunteer situation, do you use volunteers, how many, what does that look like, um, instructors, their experience level, their horsemanship uh, background, experience, staffing, all of that. So it depends on your center and what you need. And then when it comes to the horses, the factors that you should consider are age, soundness, training, upkeep, how all of those interweave together, and then also the, the potential workload of that horse entering into your program and what kind of situation you want to get into, whether it's lease, uh, donation, or purchase. All right, so I'm gonna look at some comments here. If you have any questions or comments and you're joining in live, feel free to drop them in the comment area. Uh, so let's see. Alan said our center, we, we do primarily riding. We don't do able-bodied lessons, but our physical ability level varies greatly. We really avoid anything above 16 hands to help our volunteers who are working as sidewalkers, um, and that helps them to be more able to help our riders. Yeah, very good consideration there. We also keep a variety of movement in our horses, smooth, more bouncy, a front-to-back walk or a swinging walk, and then we need them to be sound at the walk and trot. We rarely canter at our center, but we have a few horses who are very capable. Our ideal age is between eight to 18 as well. Yep, so again, common, you know, a, a lot of instructors that I talk to that eight to 18, eight to 16 is kind of, tends to be where we look for, for the programs. Um, and we love when people want their horse back when its job is done or if, it is, or if it's not the job for them. Yeah, so a lease option um, or, you know, a donation option where you then retire them to another home, you know, maybe a first horse for a kiddo, um, that, that's great. So we can have nippy or head shy maybe can't have if your head shy and what kind of spook do they have when they do yeah so what kind of spook does that horse have um is their gut reaction to go forward is it to go backwards um do they jump sideways do they take off and say see you later you go fight the boogie monster for me do they kind of just look at things and stay there and wait to assess the situation so yeah the spook is is a really good thing to assess um one of my personal non-negotiables is a horse that goes backwards uh, that 
kind of negates all safety plans that we have for emergency dismounts um, and a horse that has a default of going backwards is more likely to set back when tied um, that creates dangerous situations when mounting so a personal thing for me of spooking or any type of um, you know gut reaction of the horses I prefer them to go forward versus back so that's one of my personal non-negotiables um, and then this this person watching also said it's inevitable that a horse no matter how bomb proof they are can spook at some point point absolutely there is really no such thing as a bomb proof horse um, there are horses that are extremely well trained extremely tolerant but they are still prey animals that we have the privilege of working alongside um, yeah so many many factors uh, let's see Alan also said we try not to take in horses that knowingly need medication needs or any big factors like that if something happens while they're with us and they develop it uh, then of course it'll be treated yeah so again going to that upkeep factor the financial responsibility is it a good financial decision to bring that equine in that is a factor we've got to think about we've got to think about the financial side of things especially for wanting to be sustainable that's just what we have to think about um, all of my animals that I have my my dogs that are sitting right here next to me my horses they all have um, budgets when it comes to health and up maintenance and upkeep and I, I care about them deeply they are the furry members of our family um, but they they have budgets because I, I have to be financially responsible with my business and also with my personal finances Shelly said uh, four of our best horses are 24 and we're currently looking for younger prospects as they'll be retiring at some point yeah awesome so good to hear that you you have some older horses there um, but that you're also planning ahead and looking for uh, for a replacement for them when it is their time to retire. How do you calculate their usage to earn their keep? Um, good question, Stephanie. So that depends, 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 varies uh, program to program. Um, I personally calculate out how much that horse um, it takes to feed that horse per month. Um, I calculate in all of their annual uh, vet and health care, so teeth, deworming, vaccinations, um, farrier work, body work. So I factor all of that in, and that's like my baseline um, minimum upkeep of that horse per year. And so they have to make that plus sum. Um, I've got certain percentages kind of based on the horse like um, my personal horse has a little bit less that he has to make up because he's my also my recreational horse that I ride and I enjoy and I would have regardless of that but he does also have to at least earn his keep um, so earning their keep for me is that they have their food covered we have um, veterinary and baseline medical covered farrier costs and body work and then um, also you know, insurance that goes to cover that as well and then um, any extra goes back into my emergency vet fund and running the business and all of that so um, any profit I make uh, goes I, I reinvest that so Stephanie said we're definitely considering going to Lisa so we don't end up stuck with rehoming we're struggling to rehome to that we need to move on so we can get better fit in the program as we're going so yes yeah um the leasing versus own 
that is definitely something that um, there's pros and cons of both, but having a horse that is able to go somewhere when their 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 course has has um, run through at your program is awesome, so that you don't have to worry about that. Um, we got to the point, and again, this is kind of a whole other conversation, but uh, the reason why you know upper age limit is usually low 20s is because when I was at a larger center and even here. Um, I will try to retire a horse before they're completely um, aged out so that they can hopefully have a few more working years with another, um, you know, maybe a beginner rider that needs a super solid safe horse. So I will sometimes retire a horse before they have truly run its course at my program so I can find that horse a good home. Um, that's for horses that have been, you know, that they're owned. Um, but the lease option, yeah, that's great. And I know several centers that I've talked to, they've shifted to more of a lease option for that reason so that you don't have to worry about all the the whole mess that comes into finding a horse a new home. Um, that's just a messy, <laughs> it's a hard thing to do. Um, Adelina says, oh, we can't have nippy ones. Yeah, so nippy or head shy, yeah, that's something that, um, you know, again, if you have horse leaders, so people leading your horse or your students or are working close by your horse, the horse's head, nippy, head shy, not a good thing. Um, Adelyn says, we also have a facility near us that trains and sells horses who we have purchased horses from, and they'll allow us to switch out the horse if they end up not being an ideal fit for our program. It's been a great opportunity for us to find a few perfect fits. Oh, that's awesome. So again, networking, that's why you need a network. Um, yeah, I have a, I have relationships with fairs, um, some vets, some body work people. They know what type of horse I need, and I'll let them know, you know, hey, in the next couple years, this is what I'm looking for. So if you hear of anybody, let me know. So yeah, build those relationships so that people know what you're looking for in a horse. That's awesome that if you trial a horse and it's not a good fit there, because you know, we've got the whole factor of the type of students that we work with, the volunteers, that's not a normal lesson horse job. Our horses in the equine assisted activities and therapies industry have so many additional asks of them that not every horse is gonna be a good fit. So that's awesome that you guys have that relationship and you have it worked out that way. That That's so great. And there are so many, I, I brought in many horses on trial when I was at the large program that were amazing horses, but they just weren't happy with, the, with so many students and so many volunteers. They were more of a, you know, couple person horse and that, that was their sweet spot. And that's okay. You shouldn't try to make a square pig fit into a round hole. Our horses, if we force it on them and it's just not a good fit, that's when accidents happen and that's when burnout happens and you're just gonna have to find a new horse and invest more time and, time and money into this horse that you tried to force to make work into the program when kind of all the warning flags were there. All right, so any other questions or comments? Um, good feedback, thank you guys for, for uh, dropping comments in the comment area while you were joining in live. Uh, let me know if you're watching on a replay or catching the tail end of this live one. If you have any you know, non-negotiables for finding a program horse or what you look for, um, you know what works well for your center. 
and um, it's, it's great to network and hear from other people and what we do because again, there is no ideal list. It depends on your center. There's a lot of different factors. Um, it depends on what you do as an instructor, who you serve, what you look for in a horse, all those things. So I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks for joining in live. And I will see you guys all on the next live instructor chat. Make sure to check out hoofballsandfootfalls.com um, and my YouTube channel. I have replays of all my past instructor chats up on my YouTube channel. And check out intuitiveinstructorclub.com. You get uh, professional level presentations and videos from not only me, but also three other advanced and master level therapeutic riding instructors. And we cover a variety of topics from uh, therapeutic carriage driving to volunteer management, donations and grants, uh, training a new horse. That was actually a new uh, series that just started. We have live lesson samples, um, teaching theory and techniques, mounts and dismounts, lots of awesome stuff. So check out intuitiveinstructorclub.com if you want more online educational opportunities that you can work uh, watch at your own time, at your own pace, and it also meets continuing education requirements for multiple certifying organizations in the equine assisted activities and therapies industry. See you guys on the next live instructor chat.